Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. Today's guest, Tyler Sienfuegos, is an extraordinary high school ELA teacher and box school lead in Medford, Oregon. I am lucky enough to work in the same district as Tyler, so I'm able to peek into the innovative and immersive learning environment he creates for his students. I'm so excited to chat with him today. Welcome, Tyler. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited to chat with you. I just always love seeing the amazing learning that's happening in your classroom. Which just yesterday, I got to peek peek into your amazing world, and it was yeah. it was so awesome to see what was happening. It's been changing a lot, which is great. That's fantastic. So, just share maybe a little bit about yourself, Tyler. Well, uh, like you said, I'm teaching in Southern Oregon in the Medford School District. It's only my second year teaching so far, so I'm fresh into the game. But um, yeah, I, st I started off here uh, going to Corbin University up in Salem. Um, I'm originally from Washington, so Oregon's kind of a new spot for me, but um, got the bachelor's degree there too. Didn't actually do a master's program. Corbin's one of the few places that still does a licensure program through a bachelor's degree. So um, I took a year off after that kind of subbing just to get a feel for it. And then uh, right. now I'm here, been here for a year and a half and I love it. I was scared to get started, but I absolutely love being full-time teaching. Oh my goodness. Well, you're a natural. I would not have at all guessed that you are a second year teacher. We're so lucky to have you in the Medford School District. It's truly um, inspiring to be in your classroom. So I would love just to chat with you a, a few moments about new teaching because teaching is hard. <laughs> when mm -hmm. you are a new teacher, you are, it is even more difficult. Um, there's so many challenges. So maybe share just a little bit about that journey. Like mm -hmm. what are some of the highs and lows of being a new teacher? Oh, well, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot yeah. to get into with it. Um, I think one of the reasons why I was so scared to start teaching and I did that year of subbing was after I did my student teaching, I realized how incredibly, how much energy and just how much time and thinking and, um, care goes into actually being a teacher and doing it on a regular basis. I mean, I only did part of the teacher's schedule and my student teaching, and I thought that was too much at times. And right. so, um, yeah, jumping into subbing, um, helped me get a little bit more perspective, but, um, I will say this about jumping in. Um, I was almost forced to take the position at, uh, South Medford high school, not after they offered it to me, but, um, forced to apply for it because my wife and I were getting married. School wasn't really working out for her um, as quickly as we thought. We were going to move somewhere else, and then we ended up having to be down here. And instead of taking the subbing route again, which is my plan initially, mm -hmm. I took a risk <laughs> and just checked to see if there were any jobs available, and there were. So I applied for everything that was available, and I ended up here and I'm glad I did because without taking that risk, who knows? I might still be substitute teaching. I might have decided that I didn't want to teach at all. So, right. Well, speaking of taking risks, you—I think that that was kind of your launching 
point to taking lots of other risks because you have done a lot of very innovative things in your classroom since I've met you. I, I've just seen so much, so much magic happen. So I would love for you to share a little bit about the comparison. So this is your second year. Um, you're teaching, you were teaching juniors last year, ELA, mm -hmm. and this year you're teaching seniors. And in addition, you are our um, box school lead at yeah. South Medford High School, which, which is amazing to have a leadership position in addition to that. Um, how would you compare your first year teaching to the second year teaching? Oh, wow. Well, there, like you said, there's a lot of differences <laughs> from this year to <laughs> from last year. Um, so actually, in addition, I forgot to mention this, but um, in addition to the lead teacher this year, I also took on co-senior class advisor, advisor this year, too. Um, <laughs> Goodness, so, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, <laughs> in some ways, I'm like, did I really make the right decision in taking on so much second year? But I don't regret it. I don't think at this point it's it's a lot of extra work, but there's a lot of differences naturally because of that. Sure. But uh, in the classroom specifically, because that is similar and I taught juniors and seniors last year. So some of this rolls over. Um, oh, okay. But last year was much, much of last year was just figuring out how to survive and how to right. make it an experience that was enjoyable for the students. So I would take what I got from, luckily we have PLCs here in Medford School District, which really helps um, right. uh, for first year. But I would say, yeah, this year I'm trying new things and going to a different depth than I did last year. Last year was, here's what I know I need to get through. And I'm going to make it as enjoyable as possible for you guys. But I was transparent with them too. I said, this is my first sure. run through with everything as well. <laughs> so there's only a certain aspect of this that's uh, that's going to be excellent. Um, and I tried to do that from time to time. I still did uh, um, different creative things. Like I we did Macbeth last year and I got to wrap some of that, which was really fun. But that, um, is that wasn't awesome. Yeah, it wasn't until the second half, I would say, of the year that I actually got a chance to take a few small risks. This year, they're much bigger, right. as you've seen. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, I, I want to, something that you said really um, resonated with me and that you were really transparent with your students. And mm -hmm. I have found that to be true, too, especially, you know, as a classroom teacher and as I was taking risks and trying new things that I was not super comfortable with. Uh, because when I started really jumping out of my comfort zone as a teacher, I had been teaching for a while, but it made me feel like a new teacher again. And I mm. remember feeling that first year that I had iPads in my classroom, I'm like, I feel like this is my first year teaching because it disrupted this workflow that I had had for many, many years. All of a sudden, that was all disrupted. And so I think that was really key for me in my classroom was that I was transparent with them saying, Hey, mm -hmm. I'm trying this new thing. Will you learn along with me? Like, let's learn this together. And yeah. don't you think students really appreciate that when we can be transparent with them and real? Yes, absolutely. I think they do. And, and they, all of a sudden they are able to be transparent in response to that too. So if they don't yes. feel comfortable with something, they can share that with you because you shared that with them. Um, exactly. There's a lot that yeah. they pull from things that we just do that 
yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, that authenticity piece that I think is really, really important and really helps us establish those relationships with our kids, which makes all of the difference when we have a solid relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And I found that too, just in the year and a half that I've been here, that one of the first things that I, I focused on was the relationship aspect of it more so than I was even taught in my teacher prep program. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they want, they're really careful about in most teacher prep programs, at least that I've heard is, you know, make sure you're not just trying to be their friend and Mm -hmm. they don't want you to overdo that. And that makes sense to the extent that you don't want to not be a teacher to them. There has to be a, a boundary for sure. But I took that when I heard it in my teacher prep program as mm-hmm. you shouldn't be like, you shouldn't have a good relationship with them. For some reason, that's right. how I interpreted it was don't, right. don't have too good of a relationship with them. Otherwise it won't be good, but it's, yes. it's a different balance, I guess is what I've found. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think there definitely is, is that balance. It's, it's that balance of, no, you don't want to be, their friend, you are the teacher, but at the same time, you can create an environment where your students feel safe and they um, get to see a little bit about who you are. You know, of course, we want to be professional. Of course, we want to, mm-hmm. you know, only share. You know, we want to be careful of what we share, but at the same time, we want our students to see that we're real people too, and yeah. that we make mistakes too, and that we. Um, are forever learners as well. And we're learning with students um, also. And uh, I think that old, I, I remember someone when I first started teaching saying, don't smile until Christmas, you know? And yeah, I think, I've heard that too, exactly, yeah. Hear, hear things like that. And I think, you know, I, I think you're missing the mark there because yeah. uh, when we can really create an, an environment where students feel safe, and they they feel um, like they can trust you, and that they they establish this place where, um, you know, that relationships can be built. It just it makes all the difference in the learning. I think that they are going to go so much farther in their learning when they when they feel like they're in a class where they matter and they're heard mm-hmm. and they're valued as as human beings. Yeah, and it's incredible too where the payoff comes to um at this time of the year especially i mean i just the relationship piece there's strong relationship building very intentional at the very beginning of the year but yes every chance that i get to interact with a student in that's not in the constraint of a class time so like right as soon as the bell rings if i get the chance to connect with a student and just talk about what happened, you know, over the weekend. I heard that you had a, you know, if you had a game or if you had some sort of tournament that you were going to, if I have a chance to connect with them in those small periods of time that are outside of the class time where I'm not asking them to do something for me, yes. it just pays dividends. It's amazing. It It's so true. And I think it's so important Um I think it's so important to share for the new teachers out there that are listening that don't ever underestimate the the, the power of those relationships right from the get-go. 
uh, because they really will make a significant difference in the long run. And like you said, making those little connections, um, understanding the things that they are, are passionate about and, and going to their events. And I know we're tired as educators and it's hard to put in that extra time, but it, it really, really does pay off when they can see that you care about them as people and the things that they're passionate about. Um, right. I was just thinking about this actually uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. I was talking with my wife and um, there was a, a student that I had had a volleyball game and they asked me to go to it. And I was talking to my wife about it and we ended up deciding not to go. And I just thought like, the relationship with that student from that point forward, um, because mm -hmm. they had asked me to go to that event and I, mm -hmm. I said, you know, I'll think about going to it, but then I didn't end up going to it. It's just, it's, mm -hmm. I, I can't stop myself. This is just partly my personality. I can't mm -hmm. stop myself from thinking about what would things be like if I had just mm. showed up at that game or what would mm. things be like if I had just done that one little thing, just would have taken a little bit of time. And it's a game, right? Mm -hmm. Take my wife with me, right. we'll go together. <laughs> right, yeah. right. But, you know, you, you may you'll have other opportunities too right and and the reality yeah. is we we can't go to everything um no. and and i'm sure there's going to be other other opportunities for you to show up and and to be there for that kid but yeah i think i think oftentimes we don't we don't understand the impact that it makes when we make that effort, you know, mm -hmm. it does really make a difference, make a difference for kids. So let's talk about your classroom because sure. there's some awesome things happening. Um, I would love for you to, first of all, just share what I witnessed yesterday. Cause it was, it was amazing. I, sh I showed up in Tyler's class because I had a special delivery to make and I ended up staying for part of the period. And, and I will tell you that, uh, I know seniors at this time of year because I had many of them in my culinary class. And even in a class as immersive as culinary arts, it's tough because senioritis kicks in strong mm -hmm. <laughs> this time of year. And to, to, to be in his class, to be in your class, and to see kids engaging in this really rich um, discussion was was pretty it was pretty awe-inspiring. I was pretty amazed. So share with the listeners what, what was happening in your classroom yesterday. Sure. Um, well, to add on to what you said, keeping, first real quick, uh, keeping seniors, you had mentioned like even getting them to show up is difficult this time of year. Well, yeah. yesterday too was one of the first sunny days after a very, very <laughs> rainy weekend. <laughs> so, yes, it was. Beautiful day yesterday. Yeah. So to see, I mean, to see that level of attendance, I mean, I was happy about it. Too. I was, um, I was really happy about it. But but yesterday, to describe the class, it was a discussion day, and it was an extension actually of our discussion, which we had started in the previous class. And one of the tools that I just started using was uh, this thing called back channel chat, which is essentially a chat room that's locked in. Um, to a link so I can give them a link and then only they can get into this chat room and then I can moderate it. I can turn it off if I want to. And um, right. 
I was using a fishbowl style Socratic seminar. So there was an inner circle who was discussing mm-hmm. verbally and an outer circle who was listening, um, which I've always had trouble with in a fishbowl style discussion. But right. now with the back channel chat, those students that are on the outside circle, they are contributing by listening to what's happening in the inner circle and then yeah. typing in questions or responses, anything that they want to add to the discussion. Because students would always tell me, oh, I had a great response to that question, but I wasn't in the middle circle. It's like, well, right. now you have no excuse. <laughs> Put it up on the back channel chat. And then the kids in the middle, yeah. they have that in front of them or it's on the screen and they can pull from that as much as they want. So um, if someone else had a, a response in the outside circle, um, and they put it on the back channel chat, then students in the middle can grab that and pull it in. If it's an extra question, they can grab that and pull it into the discussion as well. So it, it really keeps everyone engaged, which is which is great. It really did. And I was like I was watching the kids that were around me because I was towards the back. And like there was a couple like kids like on their phone and I'm like oh they're probably texting no they were in the back channel and they were totally (laughs) you know they were totally engaged and you know another kid had their the actual text um out and they were they were looking at it and referring to it it was really really impressive and I think even on in the inner circle the level of engagement and equity of voice Mm. that everybody had was really 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 awesome to witness so congratulations yeah, and that's, <laughs> like that was, that was fantastic <laughs> and i give the credit to them honestly because um that's one of the things that i focused on this particular discussion i said we're not just uh, behind the screen actually i wish i could have shown you um to get a uh, advanced or mastery in a discussion part of that is civility and the way that that's uh shown in my class is mm-hmm you offer people the opportunity to speak because I'm one of those people who at times in a discussion, I'm not going to speak unless somebody pauses the discussion and asks everyone else, is there anything else anyone would (laughs) like to add? And then I'll jump in. I've gotten better at that over the years, but, um, but we're practicing that initially students are pointing at each Hey, you, what do you have to say about it? It's like, no, no, (laughs) that's not what I'm looking for. Just give them the opportunity. Say, does anyone else have a response to this? Or um, does anyone else want to pose a question before I do those types of things? Um, And they're doing a great job of it. This is their second or third practice in a row uh, at doing it. They're doing great. So yeah, I was incredibly impressed. And just with the depth, the depth of discussion that they were engaged in was awesome. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the previous time that I came into your classroom. You were doing uh, yes. an amazing activity called the QR break-in, correct? Yes. Yeah, QR break-in. So, now, was that um, – so would you share a little bit of, about that activity? Sure. So I stole it straight out of Adrenaline Rush uh, by John Meehan. Great, great book for anyone listening. You should definitely check that out if you're looking for a way to engage students in a in a innovative ways, absolutely innovative ways. Um, and he provides a template actually online, which I stole, and then I twisted it to fit with what I was doing. So essentially, a QR break-in 
as it sounds, the opposite of like a breakout EDU or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And it comes at the beginning of the content instead of at the end of of the content. So a QR break or QR break in QR. Yeah. QR break in will introduce students to the content. So for me, that was medieval times, the code of chivalry, two texts we were going over, were going to be in medieval times. And so, um, I wanted to cover a lot of content in one class period or two, and it ended up being two class periods. And it integrates so much technology, which is your mm-hmm. position at Medford School District is right. technolo- technological integration. So um, we had, what did we have? Flipgrid, we had mm-hmm. Edpuzzle, we had sketch notes, we had all sorts of different technology, all linked to different QR codes basically on a game board, which is posted on the screen, and uh, students roll on their phone, random number between one and eight, whatever number they get, they scan that code, and it takes them to whatever piece they have to do. So for me, uh, a flip grid was going to be them explaining what their thoughts were on the, on the, the term eye for an eye. Is that the best form mm-hmm. of, of justice? Is that the best way to achieve justice and peace? Um, that was the Flipgrid video, or the Ed Puzzle was a video all about medieval times. So they had to go through the whole thing and answer questions along the way, and that introduced them to medieval times and what it was like, gave them the context. And there was eight different things. I mean, it took a lot of work to put together, but once it was together, it ran itself. It was really cool. Wow. So explain to me when you when they go to each of these QR codes. So let's say they go to the Flipgrid one. What do they have to do? They have to complete, complete, and put in like a code to move on to the next thing. Do they have to tell you like how does that that piece work? How how do they know to move on to the next QR code? So in order to move on, good question. Um, is you have to get approval from the moderator or the narrator in the case of the QR break-in, which is the teacher. So that was me. So with this particular QR break-in, what I did was QR or what was it? Clue was what it was based off of. So the concept of it was that they were breaking into a house. So I forgot to even mention that earlier, but they were breaking into a house and they were trying to get all of the pieces of the mystery. So kind of like you're playing Clue, you would get the candlestick and you would get different pieces. And so most of those were already made from the template that John Meehan put together and then I changed uh-huh. about four of them to be medieval times pieces because that's what we were going over. So it was a helmet and then a, a battle axe or something. But there were these badges that you would get that represented those pieces. And they would have to come to me as the narrator and okay. get approval for moving on. So before they could choose another one, I had to approve their product. Here's the the kicker. that This is the cool thing about the QR break-in that John Meehan uh-huh. put together is – if, and I told them this ahead of time, if it doesn't meet my expectations the first time I see it, it's not a good enough product, you get sent into basically a penalty box type of state. So for two minutes, you have to make it better. Exactly. Yeah. And then if you do make it better in the two minutes, great, then you can move on. But um, it ensures that you're getting quality products. So yes. I love that. I love that they're going to they're going to try to do it right the first time and make sure mm-hmm. that 
Yeah, that it's quality before sharing it. So are these actual physical badges that you give them when they're approved or what does that look like? Yeah, they are physical badges. For me, it would be great if you could laminate them. I didn't laminate mm-hmm. them. I didn't have the time to do that. I've seen people sure. do it with laminated cards and they look fantastic. Um, but they are they get kind of a game board as a group. They're in groups of four. And okay. on that game board, there's a spot for every one of the badges, all eight of them. So they get the badge, physical copy of the badge. For me, uh-huh. that was just printer paper, but... Um, but yeah, so they got that badge and then they would move on to the next one. And they they got into it. They wanted those badges, which was cool. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? I know. When my when I had, you know, a gamified culinary class, um, I wasn't sure when I first introduced this idea of physical badges. I wasn't sure how my students would take it. Like I didn't know if they were gonna buy into <laughs> that or not. And they loved it. They loved the badges. Yeah. I had a a baseball card sleeve, plastic sleeve that they put their badges in. And uh, yeah, it didn't matter. Freshmen through seniors were totally into this, this idea. And I think it adds just another, I don't know, that tangible piece, I think adds a dynamic that, yeah. I don't know, it hooks them in. And reading about you doing it in a high school classroom is really, what, <laughs> that helped me take the risk. Because I thought to myself, would yeah. high schoolers really respond to badges? But this was the exact, I have the privilege of knowing that it's the exact school that I'm in. <laughs> right. And it worked. So it's like, all right, great. I'll try yes. it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, really, how, you know, it's it just, it's reframing, right? It's like, it's reframing what we do in a way that just really creates this immersive environment for students and adds that little bit of challenge. And there's the creativity mm-hmm. piece, you know, and um, there's the collaboration piece. There's all of these elements that come together to really create an experience that's immersive. And again, this is senior English, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's hard to get seniors sometimes engaged. And yeah. it was amazing to witness. And and the thing that was really cool about that experience, when I witnessed this QR break-in in action, is that I had a lot of those kids in my class as yeah. either freshmen or sophomores. Mm-hmm. And there was at least two or three kids that I was talking to their group for maybe a good 30 seconds before I'm like, wait, I know you because I mean, now they have like full beards, you know, yeah. they're like two feet taller. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize you at first. You're just like a man now. And yeah. I had you in first. So small. So, uh, That's so funny. Awesome to see that. But I think what was even more awesome is that I know I know those kids and, and sometimes, you know, you have a a mix of kids that sometimes have a hard time really wanting to be engaged in the content and your kids were all completely not only engaged, but they were immersed and they were excited. And this was, I think the first block of the day, (laughs) like I, I'm pretty sure that first period To even get kids to show up for a period is a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's cool too. This is the, the, that activity got them up and moving. And first period especially, you're so right. <laughs> it's hard to get them to start <laughs> doing things um, that early in the morning. And, you know, to us, it's not that early. But 
to them, it's just, you know, super early in the morning, but to get them up and moving really helps. And a couple of students even mentioned that too. They said, oh yeah, I had culinary when I was a freshman or when I was a sophomore. And this reminds me of that. I loved it. I loved when that happened. So it made me even more confident that that kind of stuff would work. So that is so, it was fantastic. I just loved it. And I, I'm really excited to do this QR break in myself. I'm thinking about bringing it into um, my innovation team. We kind of discussed this a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. um, as an activity because I think it's a great way to introduce different digital tools too. I mean, it would be a great activity for, for staff development. Absolutely. And I almost wish, well, I do wish, I always wish with these new awesome ideas that I found them earlier. <laughs> I'm only a year and a half in and I'm already saying that. But um, uh, the QR break-in in particular, I haven't used maybe 50% of the technological tools that were available on there. And so they all had to get acclimated to those. I had to create a, an account for all of them. So if I had done this at the beginning of the year, they would have all already introduced themselves to all of them and using them in the future would be a piece of cake. Right. No, absolutely. And it sounds like with an activity like that too, based on your class period length, you could alter the game so that it was shorter, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. not have as many like clues or things that they have to collect. You could kind of adapt it to whatever length of time that you wanted to work with. You absolutely could. And if you wanted to keep it at a similar length, like our class periods at our school are 70 minutes long, which is a good halfway point. There's a two hour class period or the 50 minute class period on the other end. So you could split it into two or you could make it shorter. Yeah, it's it's very flexible. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, I absolutely recommend Adrenaline Rush 2 by John Meehan. He is amazing. I know we've talked, John and I, about uh, collaborating on a a session for a conference someday. I hope we get a chance to do that because I know we both see very eye to eye on the power of uh, games in the classroom and, and just this, you know, concept of taking a game like Clue that you know, we all or maybe, you know, most of us maybe have played a time or two in our lifetime, but taking a game like that, that we know, and adapting it to learning. I mean, think about that, like open your open your game closet at home or walk down the aisle, you know, at your local Target or Walmart. And think about those games that are on the shelves, like how could we flip them and use the game mechanics within them to change up what learning looks like in our classroom. I mean, there's so many ways that you can do that. And um, it's one of my favorite things to do actually is, is really think about how, um, how to rework the games that I love and, and bring them into learning. So I remember reading that section in your book too. And that was, as soon as you said that, (laughs) you talked about going down the aisle and grabbing these games and changing Jenga and changing, was it Topple? Is that what it was called? Yeah. 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 Yeah, That one was on sale at our local Toys R Us. Um, Our local Toys R Us was going out of business and it was discounted like crazy, like 75 to 90%. And I had never heard of the game before, but it was on sale for something like $2.95. Like it was like ridiculously like 
you know, cut in price. <laughs> and so I said, I have no idea what this game even is, but I guarantee you, I will find a way to use it in my classroom. So I bought, <laughs> I bought six of them, one for every group. And sure enough, like we did, we had a great time playing topple in class. And uh, you really, I mean, even if you don't use the entire game, you can definitely pull pieces and and ask your kids. I mean, our kids have the most amazing ideas. Like bring that into the classroom and say, hey, each of, you know, here's a game. You have a half hour to figure out how to tie this game into the content you're learning about right now. And you'd be amazed at what your, you know, what students will come up with. Which is huge too. That's just amazing that you say that because I don't think that they feel like they're given enough credit in that way. Like they can actually really? contribute in that way. I've even had Sometimes I do surveys and I'll ask them what they want. Um, some kids come with come up with great ideas, but in the same class period, some kids will say, "Well, I'm not the teacher, so I don't know how to do that." It's like, but the kid, like they've been taught that maybe, but they they have yeah. such great ideas. It's amazing. I, like even when I started incorporating some of the things from your book, one of the first things I did was say, "Hey guys, I'm thinking about doing this, but uh, I need your help." <laughs> What do you think would work? Because yeah. I don't have all the answers. And and they came up with some amazing stuff. So Yeah. I think I think oftentimes we don't it's like we know our kids have great ideas, but it's it's funny how oftentimes we just don't think to ask them, you know? Or yeah. or and I think you're right. I think sometimes they don't even realize how amazing their ideas are. And you know, one thing that I love to do is is having students do a game design challenge, like have them work through the design thinking process, give them give them a box of random things and have them work through that process of designing their own games, give them a roll of tape, give them a, you know, a spool mm. of string and some game pieces, some dice or an, an hourglass timer and, um, and, and I think it's a really important process that kids can work through is thinking about its creation. Like how can I take these things and create something Yeah, you know, out of it? So Yeah, that's a really good point. That offers so much creativity to them too. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and then it shows them too, instead of just telling them, it shows them you believe they can do something amazing with whatever you give them. That's a great right. idea. I want to incorporate a little bit more of that too. I, um, because so often it's easy to get into the mindset of I need to have it all figured out. Um, I get reminded that yeah. I can't have it all figured out all the time, but <laughs> I still think I do right. need to have it for some reason. But yeah. Oh my goodness. You're doing amazing things. I love it. So you, you've mentioned a lot of digital tools already that you've incorporated. You've incorporated Edpuzzle and Flipgrid. Mm -hmm. You're using the back channel um now to do these socratic um circles right socratic mm -hmm. circles yeah and um i mean is there any are there any other digital tools you've discovered that you you are loving um well definitely twitter you showed me twitter uh this isn't necessarily something that i use in the classroom but um to get connected to other educators and just to see even if I'm not active on there on a daily basis, going on there and just taking a couple scrolls through, I see so many amazing ideas. People are doing things that I had no idea they were doing. 
Um, right. And if, if nothing else, it inspires me to take more risks, but there's also great things I steal straight off of there too. So, um, absolutely. So that's it's, one it tool is that amazing. I use. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I'm so glad that you jumped in to Twitter. It makes me so happy to see you on there. And, you know, I, I think all the time, like, wow, what, what would it be like if as teachers, we all just shared, you know, something mm-hmm. And even to just our school, if South Medford High School, everybody just tweeted one thing from their day or from their week, mm-hmm. that's powerful, right? Like we could all learn from each other because I know um, as a teacher myself, how little time I have to really even leave my classroom, right? Like you're kind of, you're, yeah. you're going, you're going all day long and you hardly have time to run to the bathroom let alone like peek into somebody else's class. And so if we could share like the things that we're doing that may seem obvious to us, but are not to others, like we can take those ideas and, and make them our own and and do some amazing things. So keep spreading the word, Tyler. I'm, I, I'm determined to get, (laughs) to get everybody on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, I want to I want to have more people see that positivity too. There's a certain aspect of education that um I I really sometimes I'll be in the middle of a negative uh it's it's good to get some of that stuff out from time to time, but I'll be in the middle of it's been like a couple of weeks and all I'm hearing is negative stuff and I'll be like, mm-hmm. "What are some good things that are happening?" <laughs> I'll ask people right. that straight up. I'll just say, "What are some good things that are going on?" In the middle of the negativity, I'll just say, What's yes. what's a good thing that you could identify? Because it's easy to just become <laughs> focused, hyper focused on those negative things. I do it all the time. I mean, I it's a personal thing I have to work on all the time is not focusing on the negative. But right, yeah, seeing the positivity on Twitter helps. <laughs> it does help. It does help because I think, and especially that I think that it makes a difference on you know. Develop, creating your professional learning network. You're you're creating a network of people that inspire you and challenge you and push you, you know, past that the status quo and and really um, bring innovative learning to your classroom. And it doesn't it doesn't mean you only follow people that agree with you. I, I think it's good to ch- be challenged mm-hmm. in our thinking. Yeah. But at the same time, it's you know I. Think it's important that we are surrounding ourselves with people that that keep pushing us to to be better, you know, and to and to keep growing and to keep learning. And uh, I definitely have found that in my journey as well with Twitter that I have just grown so much as an educator because of the people that I'm connected with globally and. It's oftentimes those people that um, that I, I tend to turn to, you know, when I've ha- had a, a difficult day or I just looking for inspiration. I, I go to those those educators that I know are going to going to inspire me. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of those on Twitter. There's and uh, don't get me wrong. here, I want to make sure I represent <laughs> Medford School District the right way. Yeah. I'm not surrounded by a bunch of negative Nancy's by any means. And not at my school either. They're all um, roll up their sleeves, hardworking people. And yeah. it's great to be around that, which is fantastic. Uh, and having, you know, people like you at the district to ins- go around and literally just inspire people. I mean, the fact that you come to my classroom 
and watch what I'm doing and offer feedback and encouragement is just, it's amazing. So I'm really happy I landed here. I mentioned at the beginning, it was kind of sudden, but I'm super happy that I ended up down here. Well, we are too. And I agree. We have a district full of amazing, amazing educators doing incredible things. And I feel very lucky that I am in this role because I, um, I know that teachers, there's so many barriers, right? There's so many, um, so many things that teachers are, are, are um, faced with on a daily basis that, that are difficult. And if I can help remove some of those barriers and help encourage and inspire and, and make, you know, innovative learning a little bit more accessible, then that brings me joy because I, I know how, how difficult it is. Well, you're doing that for me. So be encouraged in that way. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you so much. Well, I, I absolutely love um, coming into your classroom. And, and again, like that's one of my favorite things about this role is getting to peek into other teachers' classroom and see the magic that's happening because I'm learning a ton. You know, <laughs> I had been in a culinary classroom my entire career. And so now to get out of my culinary classroom and see what learning looks like at the elementary level, at the middle level, in content areas that I was not in at the high school level mm-hmm. is is pretty, pretty incredible. So I'm super excited about it. And, um, yeah. and I, so this whole idea of gamification, I know this is something that you kind of have, have leaped into really this semester, right? Mm-hmm. Was it before this semester? So I thought about it, but I started it this semester. Yeah. You started it this semester. So uh, how is that going? Tell tell me a little bit about like, is this something that you have kind of layered over the entire semester? Did you do this for just one unit and you're kind of going, you know, right. step by step? What is it looking like? Well, uh, it's, it's been quite the experience too. I, I'm glad I get to talk to you about it again. Um, Just this quarter, actually, is what I'm planning on right now. It might go further into fourth quarter, but since this is the very first time that I'm trying it, I want to isolate it a little bit and give it a space where I can think about how I would change it and make it better or if I like it and I want to keep doing it. Um, And so far, what I've found is it pushes kids to do things that they never would have done. I'll give you a quote from a student, for example. He said to me, I told my dad this last weekend that you're the only teacher that's made me do my homework. Uh, <laughs> and I it's from that. gamification too. And it's the, the craziest part about that comment is that the homework that I'm providing for them is not even required. It's just something that you can right. do because of the game elements. <laughs> right. So that's just an amazing thing to me. I, I love the fact that he said that. Um, but I yeah, think so that's fantastic. yeah, uh, that <laughs> a kid would say that, uh, you know, too bad he didn't do his homework before, but Hey, great. You did it this time. <laughs> you did it this time. Well, and that's the thing, like students are empowered. They're not doing it 
because they have to. They're doing it because you have gotten them excited about the learning and you've, you've, um, you framed it in a way that, that hooks kids in, that, that piques their curiosity and wants, you know, makes them want to learn. And I think about just even the smallest, in the smallest ways that we can just reframe what we do and present it in a way that piques their curiosity and uh, frames it in maybe uh new language, you know, instead of calling it Mm -hmm. homework, calling it a quest, calling it a mission. Um, And, and just really thinking about those game mechanics, like how can we hook our kids and get them excited about the learning? Right. And I actually saw a video or was it a tweet? I can't remember from uh, explore like a pirate. Why can't I remember? Mm -hmm. Michael Matera. Michael Matera, who's also amazing. Yes, and I just got his book, Explore Like a Pirate, super loving it so far. But uh, he, it was either in a YouTube video he posted or it was in a tweet. And he said something about him doing discussions or reading, getting through a text. Because he's social studies, I believe, teacher. Yes, he is. So mm-hmm. he still has some reading that he has to get through. And I, as I was starting to plan the gamification, I thought, well, we still have to read. I can't make that really a, a game. And there are things I could layer over top of it, but we still have to read it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right. <clears throat> and we still have to write. That's a target that we have to get through. Mm-hmm. And one of the side quests that I had, and this is still in reference to that particular student who did his homework. One mm-hmm. of the side quests that I created was literally just write a paragraph that's argumentative. And the only thing attached to it was if I give you a mastery on that paragraph, then you get a, uh, a badge attached to it. And he did it. Right. It wasn't like a gamified anything aside from the fact that it was overlaid with this potential for shillings and he yeah. still did it. So right. it's not even necessarily making the content itself crazy. It's even just an overlay. Like you said, perspective. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're reframing it. You're reframing yeah. it in a way that, hooks them and gets them excited. And I think that is such an important thing to bring up because I think sometimes educators think like, oh, I've got to make everything like, you know, a game or everything like super fun. And and yes, those pieces can really increase engagement, but you just think about reframing and layering this gamified structure over it. Um, and you don't have to re I, I, in my classes, I was teaching the same stuff. I was, we were doing the same recipes. I was teaching the same content. It was just this framework was layered over it that created mm-hmm. that more immersive environment, just like you said. And yeah. um and so I think sometimes people make it more complicated than it it really needs to be. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of doing that. <laughs> I was trying to gamify every little piece as much as I could. And I this is one of the struggles I had before I started doing it. I was like, wow, I don't know if I can do this in English. Like, mm-hmm. I still have to read. I, we still have to write. I, but it's just having that mechanic over the top of it that actually gets them to push themselves a little bit higher. So, yeah. Um, that really helps knowing that you still have to do reading. It's just that right. extra layer. 
So. Absolutely. Well, I am so excited about continuing to follow your journey. I just feel so lucky that I get to be in the same district as you, that I can just pop into your classroom when I want to and, and learn from you because um, you are teaching me, Tyler. So um, I am so inspired by you and what you're doing. And uh, it's just really awesome, awesome to watch. So Thank you for bringing the enthusiasm and the energy and um, just being a dynamic educator in the Medford School District. Well, thank you so much, because without your support, too, I mean, I don't know if I would have taken the risk right away. So learning from your book, from you personally, I mean, how lucky am I that one of the books that inspires me, the authors literally working <laughs> at the district office in my school district. Lucky, lucky me. So thank you so oh, much. Well, you are you are way too kind. <laughs> I um I know that people listening right now are going to want to figure out how to follow your journey. Uh, so how can we follow Tyler? How can we find you on social media? Well, I'm actually pretty unknown on social media aside from Twitter now from you. So, but the number one way you can follow me is at. Tyler Cienfuegos one, which I even considered changing that because it's so long, but it's at T Y L E R C I E N F U E G O S one or C. And I'll put that. Yeah, okay. put that on there. That in the show notes. So now you're gonna <laughs> now you're gonna you know have to fill that feed, Tyler, because everyone's gonna be following you. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to start posting things on there. <laughs> no, I love it. No, it's it's fantastic and uh, truly, truly um, amazing things happening. And I appreciate so much you being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Have a magical day, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Make Learning Magical podcast. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Follow me on Twitter at Tish Rich, Instagram at Tish Richmond, and join my Gamifying Family and Consumer Science group on Facebook. You can also find lots of resources and my blog at tishaRichmond.com.